I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. On today's episode, I'm delighted to say that Chris Bevan has agreed to join me on this virtual sofa. Chris will explain his career history in a moment, but I think that the diversity across his career provides him with a real depth of understanding of what it takes to deliver transformational change within an organisation. And I'm sure you'll find the show really interesting. Let's get on with it by introducing Chris now. Hi, Chris. Uh, great that you could join us today. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this show after our discussion the other week. Uh, your career has spanned multiple sectors, but two appear to have been more prevalent than others, uh, telecoms and retail. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm sure, you know, both of those have undergone significant change over the last 10 to 15 years. So I'm sure there'll be some great stories to tell. Uh, but, uh, you know, can we start as we normally do and just tell us a little bit about your career to date and, and, and how you got into change and transformation in the first place? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me. It's, uh, it's, it's a joy to, to talk to you about this. Um, I, I've been in the world of work for 45 years now. I still think that I'm a fresh-faced 21-year-old, but every time I <laughs> see the reflection, I, <laughs> I realise that, no, I've got the lines from the 45 years. But that's been split into 25 years of sort of corporate life, where I was, um, especially in retail, CPG, supply chain, and senior executive posts for UK and American companies. Um, and then uh, 20 years as an independent consultant in various guises, working with organizations, other consultancies, working independently. Um, and what I've done is worked with the areas I've worked are really Europe, UK and, and, and the US. Um, and I've worked almost exclusively as an independent into the last 10 years of my corporate life in the world of transformation and, and change. And I've worked across multiple industries. And as you said, retail, um, uh, finance, uh, mobile telecommunications in its very early days, which then became sort of more mobile, uh, sorry, more telecom, um, and in supply chain. Uh, so I've worked on startups, the startup of Virgin Mobile back in 1999. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody still remembers the finance company Egg, but I worked on the launch of, of Egg. Oh, I also was worked with brands. I was, I was in Egg. Yeah. I, did, I was in the uh, startup phase of Egg as well, which was very spooky. Well, I was working in the Dudley. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, yeah. apologies to your backcountry. Um, and I think the other office was in Derby. Yeah. And it was my first introduction to um, teleconferencing um, right. because in Dudley there was a, this big teleconferencing suite. And uh, um, so yeah, I, I, I that was that was in my early days of working independently. Right. But I've also worked in uh, retail, Waitrose, Tesco's, Morrison's. Uh, worked for Huawei. Uh, yeah. If I'm still allowed to mention that name in the UK, <laughs> um, Ericsson and, and Credit Suisse. So I've worked across a lot of big brands um, and seen a lot of company cultures and uh, a lot of um, geographical cultures as well. You describe the approach that you're taking with Outvi uh, of that of a player coach. Do you want to just explain a little bit more about that and, and, and how that approach benefits the organisations that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to give a bit of context, um, one of the part of our philosophy is that you cannot do transformation to organizations. Absolutely. It has to come from within the organization. Um, but the majority of organizations we engage with 
have, don't really have a lot of um, experience in leading and delivering transformations, mm -hmm. which are very complex. You know, they, a lot of people have experience of delivering small elements of incremental change, but not when we were, if we were to truly use the word transformation um, in, in, in its fullest sense. And so there is a, a transition that they have to go through and we have to mirror that transition. So we have to be doing a lot right at the beginning. So we're playing the game, if you like, yeah. um, while also sort of helping to develop uh, the leaders, the um, uh, you know understanding the psychology of change and helping them transition from being operational leaders to transformational leaders. We then revert more to coaching them in doing the job rather than us doing the job. Yeah. So that's what we mean by player coach. Um, we're, we're always, always coaching um, because if, if the transformational outcomes are going to be sustained, you know, we're not going to be there all the time. Um, so they have to be able to lead in a transformative environment uh, and that becomes our legacy. So that's what we mean by player coach. No, great. And, and uh, that leads me on to another question, I suppose, in terms of how you define transformation. You, you're just saying there that there's, you know, that, that lots of yeah. people think just general business change is transformation. But how, how would you define transformation? Well, if um, uh, we, we have on our website and other places, we, we define sort of um, the difference between transformation and change. And you can look it up in the dictionary. Yeah. But, but now I've got to remember every word, haven't I? <laughs> um, but... You know, transformation is if you take um, you know the example we would give uh, would be a, a chrysalis transforming into a butterfly it's not a caterpillar with wings it is a yeah. different animal it's a different insect or whatever the, the appropriate term yeah. is um, and change and, and the dictionary definition is something like um, uh, changing um, within the same form so if you take an operating, you know, the way an operating model of an organization, a change is changing that operational model, incrementally changing it without fundamentally changing to another model. Yeah. So for us, transforming uh, an organization is transforming it into something else. Now, yeah. a good example, over the last nine months, we've seen a lot of retailers become um, online retailers by necessity. Yeah. That, you know, that is a different way of doing business. That is transforming from a bricks and mortar to an online retailer. Yeah. And having done some work at ASOS and, and um, other sort of online retailers, um, you know, it is a different way of working. So you can still be this, have the same business, but the way you deliver it yeah. um, is going to transform. Absolutely. And you can transform parts of an organization, not just, you know, not, not the whole ecosystem. No, Does that totally answer the question? No, absolutely, yeah. And, um, you know, just going back to the example that you were giving earlier in terms of egg, that, that I, in my opinion, that was transformational from going from, as you yeah. say, in Dudley, the prudential banking operation to one that was yeah. completely changing the way financial services and ultimately other services would be delivered to, 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 yeah. to individuals through um, that, that whole tele telephony and online presence that Egg was trying to create? Well, I, I, would, uh, I think I'm right in saying that First Direct were in the market before Egg were, yes, um, they were, yeah. were launched. But First Direct, to me, were a traditional bank that would only deal with you on the telephone. Yeah. Everything else behind the telephone was like a traditional bank. Um, 
but I think you always have um, some organizations that point the way without going the full journey. And first direct, I would say, well, one of those, an egg sort of came up and really redefined uh, financial services and banking. No, I agree. I agree. So um, we, we started to speak uh, after you posted an article a few weeks ago on LinkedIn. Um, and it was, I think it was entitled Transformation Failure, Why It Happens. Yep. And, and you started to mention sort of six core causes of failure. Do you, do you want to talk us through, you know, maybe two or three of those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, every other year, Bain & Company or McKinsey or somebody will produce a report and there seems to be this magic two numbers, 70% and 30%. Yeah. And what, what they purport is that 70% of transformational programs fail um, and the 30% obviously succeed. Now, um, a friend and a colleague of mine back in 2007, 2008, we... we you know, we picked up a McKinsey report that said exactly the same thing, um, and we decided to see how far back we could go um, yeah. to identify when the 70-30 started. Uh, we stopped at 1985 when um, a professor, um, David Alexander, I think his name was, produced a report from, and he worked for what was then called the Cardiff, um, Cardiff Business School, Management School. Um, and he produced a report which said roughly the same thing. But he was talking about technology programs for yeah. Because this was in 1985. I remember it. It was the, the, the period of information engineering. Yeah. And, you know, tech was the, the thing that, that everybody was, was implementing. And so this 7030 has been, up, has been out there in the industries for the last 35 years. And yet we still get reports saying 70% fail. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have spent the last few few years trying to understand why that might be. And the article that were very kindly just referred to was in two parts. The first part was saying um, uh, why um, organizations continually fail or continue on a, a method or an approach that produces that 70% failure. Uh, um, I'll give you, there is an overarching um, reason we think, um, and that's what we call operational thinking. Yeah. Now, the majority of leaders of organizations, you know, they're very successful in running their operation. They have um, gone up the ladder of, of the industries that they're in, maybe in different companies, but they have gone up the, the uh, built their expertise in certain functions, running an operation, maybe um, the majority of them incrementally changing that operation, but they're running an operation the rails of which were put down decades ago by somebody else. And the playbook for those rails, or how you put those down, probably written 200 years ago, <laughs> yeah. um, pre-Victorian times, in terms of function structures. Um, you know, Adam Smith wrote his book. Um, there's uh, another guy whose name escapes me who wrote the, the management science sort of back in uh, yeah. the early part of the last century. And nothing's changed, really. And so if you've been brought up, thinking in a certain way, using reference points from 10, 20, 30 years ago, just updated with, with, with some data, then if you go into a transformation with that operational thinking and that functional way of doing things, expecting to have data every Friday on your dashboard about how, you know, what performance you, you've done that week or that month, you're, you're set up for failure anyway. So 
that operational thinking, if you like, as a backcloth or as a context for why things go wrong, then if you if you understand that, then other things like what we call rush to execution is the next one. Yeah. So uh, we've worked for a lot of organizations, and I'm sure that you know the listeners to this and, and you yourself, Tony, would have been um, talking to leaders of an organization that have, have just published their strategy. They've paid millions of pounds, gold bars to somebody to help them develop yeah. their strategy. And so they've got to justify the money that they spent. They've got to be seen to be doing things. So then all of a sudden, a portfolio of change is, is, uh, is set up or their existing portfolio is modified. Um, and then business cases for each program or each project would be, would be created. They would be presented to, um, to the board. They'd be given money and off they go. But again, if you think back to um, the operational, vertical, functional way that people have been brought up, the projects and programs, again, are vertical programs yeah. that are independent usually of each other because there's nothing to stitch them together. Yeah. But then they throw uh, change management in the last 25% of the project, where, of course, that's going to stitch it together. But change management, as it's practiced in a lot of places, so you know, this is a rather broad explanation here, which is going to uh, probably annoy some people, but you know, the change management is about training, you know, business readiness. It's at the end of the process. You know, change ought to be managed from day one. Yeah. Of, of the thinking about the change. And so that rush to our execution produces siloed transformation, which then, you know, yes, we do the process, we do the people, we do the technology in the program. Um, and so if you're delivering a new finance system, and I've seen this, where, you know, finance is a hub of an organization, you know, it, it interfaces in and out just where every part of the organization if you haven't really addressed that sort of horizontal sort of uh, interface in and out, yeah. it doesn't matter. The finance system isn't going to deliver what you wanted it to deliver. Yeah, totally um, and so, rush, so that rush to execution is, um, you know, is, is, again, a fundamental sort of um, reason, we think, why these transformations fail. I think... Uh, the, the third, the third, before you go on to that, just picking up on that a little bit, I think, uh, in my experience... That, that 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 rush to execution um, also comes from um, the, the 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 way that organisations tend to run the business cases so uh, and, and develop the business cases um, and sign business cases off. So they'll, they'll 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 create the business case that says within a an eighteen month period we will deliver X Y Z. Um, but um, and day one is when, when not necessarily when we get sign off. They put a fixed date in, eighteen months hence, and it takes three months to get the business case signed off. And suddenly that eighteen month program becomes a fifteen month program. So all hell breaks loose because we're three months behind schedule already. And it, it's just that sort of, as you say, that sort of uh, very structured siloed thinking, um, yeah. uh, as opposed to just stepping back and saying, does this actually make sense from a uh, an organisation perspective, from a uh, from a, um, a a consistency perspective across across all the various initiatives that we that we're undertaking. Yeah. And the second part I'd raise, it was an example I I got involved. I got pulled into an organisation probably about ten years ago, uh, and it's just talked, uh, in the way that you were talking about the finance system. This was a supply chain um, um, uh, um, system improvement. 
um, and um, the organization was pan-European um, and the system was going in to go live in virtually every country on day one which was a recipe for disaster generally um, but they they've done exactly exactly as as, as you were describing that they, they, they'd run it as a technology program a technology project and then in the last sort of uh, yeah, maybe 20 percent of the time brought the change people in to 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 help embed it um and 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 didn't actually put sufficient change people into even even have any chance of doing it because they were you know trying to go live in something like 15 countries of one day and and you know we got brought in because it was obviously everything was red um in terms of in terms of reports and it's like can you come in and resolve it and it's like well no you've got to you've got to come back and step back and completely change the way you you're thinking about implementing this uh, and it was this sort of well it's a it's a technology it's in supply chain buying and forget about every every other aspect of which there were at least 15 different organizations country organizations that they had to interface with so i i, 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 um, I it's, it's you know, there's that sort of um, uh, I, I joke about you know in Ireland, isn't it? And the punchline is, well, I wouldn't start from here. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's you, when you look at an, a look at how far an organisation has got, and it's well, you know, you can't restart from here. You've got to go back almost to the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, so I, I think you're short on on the third one. Yeah, the the third well, the three of the of the six that we mentioned, and not to go through them all, is what we would call digital illiteracy um, you can expand that to transformational illiteracy um, and this is not a negative this is not saying that people in in the boardroom are you know are, are bad people or but if they haven't been exposed to what the capabilities are or how transformations really really work you can't expect them to go home on a Friday night and over the weekend the, you know the transformation pixie dust is is sort of <laughs> sprinkled on them you know, there is a learning to go through, um, but there is, I think, a um, uh, there, we all have an ego to different, you know, sense. And when you're sitting in the boardroom, everybody looks up to the board members as knowing everything. Yeah. Um, you know, which which is something that we're brought up with. But if if one doesn't know the art of the possible, um, what technology can do to support our business, as opposed to how can we support technology? Um, then how can one expect these people, uh, yeah. good people, successful people, um, to really sort of um, get committed to actually really transforming their, their business models, their operating models, their evolving their, their sort of cultures and their behaviours. Um, and the, the whole, you know, there's a lot been written over the last 12 months um, about, you know, we're, we're in sort of industry four. Um, you know, we're, we're in the technological age truly now, um, and we agree with that. But in the previous three industrial revolutions, people have supported technology. You know, from the you know the steam engine, you know, to, to drive the the mills in um, in uh, in the north, it was the technology that devised the process, yeah. and then people had to adapt to that technology-driven process. We firmly believe that now in industry four, it's got to reverse. So it's got to be human centric. It's got to be people centric. 
um, and the technology has got to support what we want our people to do and what we don't want them to do, we do want the technology to do. So if you look at things like um, uh, robotic process automation, RPA, yeah. in my experience, that mimics what an individual will do. Then you've got the next generation, which is um, intelligent automation, which has the learning sort of yeah. within it. Um, if we can get to that point where rather than use those technologies to reduce the numbers of people, but if we can use those technologies to really um, open up and break out the innovation that people have within them, mm -hmm. then I think you, you need to understand and be literate about that digital capability to enable us to understand what we what our people are capable of and what they can do. So until and you can't delegate it to a CIO or a chief mm. digital officer. This has got to be something, if it's going to be transformational, the board have got to be committed to, and the CEO has to be committed, not um, just involved. Yeah. Um, you know, and th this might sound a little bit uh, revolutionary, but um, what we find, especially in retail, there's the ops board meeting every Monday where you know the very senior people are looking at the performance of last week. Um, and lots of boards tend to spend a lot of time on, you know, the, the here and now, you know, where we are and, and the, yeah. the near-term horizon. But if the transformation, if an organization is barking on a transformation and there's always very high risk in a transformation, <coughs> we would suggest that's the board's responsibility. Mm. So if the board focus on the transformation and if the operational managers and directors and have you who can run the operation, run the operation, then we think that that's a good sort of division of labor at the top of an organization where the board are committed to delivering the transformation in the mm -hmm. right way. Um, uh, of course, they're still responsible for, for the business, but they have people who do that for them. But I, I just think that as, as one goes up that ladder vertically, it's very difficult to let go of what you did because yeah. that's what got you to where you are. So the human um, trait, I suppose. Yeah, and... Uh, and, and I think there's that sort of uh, old mindset, isn't there, of um, feeling threatened by people that are coming up the organisation um, because they'll take my role. And, and actually, that, you know, you, you need to turn that on its head to say, well, actually, we should be encouraging that. We should be encouraging as much innovation within the within the teams and, and, and allowing the team to um, to develop and, and to come up with with, with 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 radical new ideas because actually. That will help me to be the best leader or to to lead the best organization out there in my in, in our individual sector uh, so it, it, it's, it's a it's a mindset change for lots of people isn't it yeah well uh, again um you know we, we have one of part of our philosophy is you have to think differently before you can behave differently before you can do differently yeah. um and so that thinking differently what you've just described there to me is, and you use the word leader, um, and I think that I agree 100% with that. But a lot of our senior people that have the label leader are actually still senior managers. Yeah. So they manage people managing activity. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, it's more sort of directive rather than collegiate and, and collaborative. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I, I absolutely agree with you. Who, who do you think is getting it right or getting it? Who, who do you think are the organizations that are better at, the, at doing that type of thing? You know, just I can, do, you, do you know of, of, of many? 
Um, well, I, I, I would say that there are the category, there are lots of startups at the moment. Yeah. There are lots of, um, um, there are lots of um, native, you know, sort of um, e-commerce companies that are getting in right, yeah. uh, mainly because they're not encumbered by that sort of 200-year-old sort of playbook. Yeah. Um, and there's also, I think, another characteristic of a lot of these startups is that when you look at the age uh, yeah. of the people who are at, at the helm and who have got the ideas, um, they're probably half my age. Um, so does that does that lead us to think that for the more established organisations, then they've all that the, the probably the most effective uh, or, or maybe the most successful way of of driving that type of transformation is to create a spin out and, and and almost leave the legacy and create something new in the way that Egg did in, in going back to the example earlier. Well, I think that. Um, there's there's got to be a reason why you know why are we doing what we're doing uh, and it's got to be more than just because i think everybody else is doing it or you know it's, it's a fashionable yeah. thing to do um and so if um to get to what you're saying um i would say that you have to be clear about the why you have to develop the strategy that supports that why um and there is also something that we call the the organizational truth um, and if we get that right, and what I mean by the organizational truth, it's really what is the story in this organization today? And there is always, without fail, I'm really dug a hole for myself here now by saying that, there is a gap between what the people at the top of the organization see as the truth and what the people sort of at the co-face see as the truth and something in between. And unless there is that consistent understanding and agreement of what the truth is, then it doesn't matter about the strategy, it doesn't matter about the why, people have got different perspectives. If you've got that right, then I think one of the things we would promote where it's appropriate is what we call the new co um, sort of approach, which is yeah. almost what you're saying, sort of build the new co um, in parallel with your old co, if yeah. you're still with me, um, and that's your business as usual. And at certain points, uh, the the new co can feed into the old co to stimulate that change. Mm. So uh, I wouldn't say you know it's black and white that you build a new co and then you close down the old co. Uh, you could be building the new co as your incubator. Yeah, yeah. You're developing innovations and MVPs and all that all that sort of stuff. But then you scale up into the old organization because you've got the infrastructure and the people there. Um, so as a concept, um, we would agree with what you, what you proposed, but how it, would, um, how it would play out would depend on the circumstances and the context of the organization and, and what it was they were trying, trying to do. But um, uh, I, I did uh, quite a lot of work um, in local government. I was, I was involved in a, an educational charity um, and I'd sit at committee meetings and thinking, you know, this is just not fit for purpose. Not the meeting, but the local government uh, environment. Um, but we're never going to change it because what it would mean is exactly what you said. We need to build a new one in parallel yeah. and then switch over from the old to the new. No politician is going to sanction that and, and, and sort of pay for that. But that, I think, is uh, if you're trying to build a new business and a new way of doing it, it has to be 
the way to to go you know to go forward yeah i, I think um just going back to that local government my, my experience of, of, of government and local government in particular is that they maybe uh, attempted that type of uh, approach um but in terms of the execution got it wrong when they when they went through the massive outsourcing um, um cycle probably 10 yeah. 15 years ago um, and some very large organ what are very large organizations now were created off the back of that um but all they did was just outsource the the challenges and the issues uh, and passed it on to a third party to to sort out the, 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 and those third parties are still running the operations in a very similar way um but with a more of a commercial view uh, and and so they didn't actually get the transformation that they were hoping to get uh, and, and interestingly now a lot of them are now bringing them bringing those same um um functions and sim- uh, same organizations back in house um yeah, to, I, to, I think they might they might be there might be one exception to that sort of national government rule, and it, it pains me to say it in some respects, but uh, HMRC mm-hmm. embarked on a digital transformation, was it four years ago? You know, I don't know yeah. it intimately, but I, I would I would contend that they, this chancellor wouldn't have been able to do what he did at such speed last year. Yes. Investment in, in the digital technologies for HMRC hadn't been made and implemented a few years ago. Um, yeah, totally. Agree I still with that. think, the, yeah, and, and you know, they 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 take our hard-earned money, don't they, Tony? So it does grieve me to say it, but um, <laughs> you know, then you look at you know Department of Work and Pensions and and others, and they're still in the mire. Yeah. Um, but um, so there is one exception, perhaps, to to that sort of no, public absolutely. sector rule. So, so um, throughout your career, as, as we've said, you've been involved in lots of different organisations, different programmes. Uh, which have you found the most interesting? Um, the most interesting have been where there is a commitment from the top, not just a, an involvement, because, you know, one can be, um, one can really dive deep in, into that organisation. Um, if we use the word interesting in the positive sense, as opposed to in the negative sense, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and substitute the word challenge, Waitrose, for example, was, um, was a fantastic environment to go into. Um, but my initial thoughts there were when I was talking to the various people about going to work there, you know, this was a, a co-owned business, you know, everybody's mm. going to be really up for it. Um, but what it meant was it was a co-owned business that everybody had a say or felt they had a say. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there, 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 was a, there was a big piece of work to get proper engagement as opposed to just communicating to people. And I learned such a lot about you know, the psychology of change and how people think. And, you know, a lot of people used to say to as a subscriber to the view that, you know, as human beings, we don't necessarily welcome change. Well, I learned through that process, if people understand why they need to change or why the world needs to change or their organisation needs to change, if they understand it, they may not agree with everything you've said, but they will fall into line and, and there will always be the people that won't but they're the very small sort of minority yeah. and one of the greatest things I learned at, at, at the um, the work at Waitrose was, was that was that you know, engagement is not communication mm. and to get good engagement you need a dialogue model because you need to be able to 
um, speak to people where they are and there are different mechanisms for doing that. Yeah. Uh, and you have to find the right one to, to talk to a certain person or a certain group of people um, and, and actually listen to them as well. Yeah. So if it's true dialogue, it will go two way. Um, I was just you know, about to say that. So I was just about to say that it's that all too often you have a communications plan within a transformation process, and it's and yeah. and it's not a communications plan because all it is it, it's it's disseminating information. It's it, it, yeah. the, the 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 true communication is where it's two way, and you can actually start to uncover so many of the issues and challenges really early on, and do something about them to to allow people to move along the journey with you. Yeah, and, and at, at five, having learned that sort of at um, that, at Waitrose, um, at Outfy, now we use different partners. What we, we understand, we do not have all of the capabilities under our brand roof to deliver, you know, a, a complex transformation. So we work with partners, some of which provide technology to enable that dialogue to be ongoing twenty four seven, a bit like. Um, uh, a, a Facebook for, for the business, you know, so people can yeah. talk across peers, up, down, and, and what have you. And so you can you can get a, a, a pulse of, of what the thinking is in the business um, on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. So Waitrose was um, was a, a, a truly, I was, I was there for six, originally there for six months, and two and a half years later, <laughs> I, I left. Um, but I had a fantastic sponsor in the supply chain um, the business sponsor, the supply chain director, a guy called David Jones. And um, we used to have a, have a coffee every Thursday afternoon um, in, in his office. And then, you know, it was, it was um, what's the name of that? Uh, you know, the rules where what stays in the, what you say in the room nice. stays in the room. Chatham House, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. My grey matter didn't work there. Um, but he was, he was so supportive. And his view was, look, I've never done this before. You yeah. have. So I know the business, you do this transformation and change. So if we work together, we're going to get there, aren't we? Yes. Um, and that was so refreshing, you know, to have have that. And I knew that he had my back um, and he knew that I had his back. I did some work for Digicel in the US and Digicel were um, looking to launch a mobile um, service to compete with Virgin Mobile in the US. Uh, and I was asked to go and um, they were, they thought that they were six months away from launching. And I was asked to go with a, if like a business architect's eye and, and be able to identify, you know, where they had holes in their operation. Now, having come from um, a retail background, having worked on the launch of Virgin Mobile in the UK, um, I had a certain lens that I was looking at. That um, the majority of people were either who were working for them were either technology based or had come from a mobile telecoms business. Um, and they wanted to sell most of the, um, the devices, the telephones and what have you through retail. Mm. Now I was there, I started there in the August and one of the basic principles, and if you want to start selling at Christmas, you sell to the retailers in February, March at the latest when they're doing all their, if you like, their, uh, their, their autumn and winter yeah. sort of merchandising plans. So they didn't have a hope in hell of getting into Target and Kmart and all, all these sort of um, organizations. But being able to work with people who had such an open mind, even though 
every meeting we were having, every workshop we were having, we were identifying challenges. It was, it was still a very, very positive environment. But Digicel never launched, by the way, in, in, in the US um, after spending a lot of millions of dollars to get to that point. Uh, you know, the owner then decided, no, uh, we're, we're stepping back. Right. Now, I'm not saying that's because of what I did. You know, a lot of people did a lot of work to, you know, to, to get there. But even in that face of, you know, I seem to be the one with the, with the, uh, the words of doom every meeting. It was still a very um, lively environment, and it was a very positive environment to work in. And, and I suppose that leads on to the sort of cultural differences within different countries and, and different organisations. And you know, do do you do you have you uh, do you see that within different countries? So you, obviously, in that in that example, though you were in the US, um, in your experience, is that are they much more open-minded than? A traditional British sort of mindset, or, or is it is it down to the individual, um, or, the, or the culture I, of the organisation that they're working in? Yeah, but I, I think the cultural organisation um, takes is is fed by the if you like the national sort of culture, you know, yeah. to to a great extent, and then you have the person who's at the top leading, then the influence that they have, you know, yeah. contributes to that. But I I agree with what you said i think that there is um there is this more open-mindedness in the u.s um i haven't worked there for a few years but yes it, it to me it's always has been more open-minded there is they are less risk averse um but that doesn't mean that it's a pushover you know you you have to build your case and it's not always on on the numbers yeah um a lot of the time the the acceptance is on the potential outcome and the value that that outcome can deliver um, and uh, you know, sometimes there is a downside in, in a lack, perhaps, of you still need discipline, you know, and that's discipline with a small d. Yeah. You need a structure. You need you need you need, I would <coughs> say, more assurance than governance. So you need to be a, you need to have assurance that what you're doing is what you said you would do, and mm -hmm. you're using you know the the financial resources properly. You still need to assure that. Um, but it is. Uh, this is a fresher sort of environment. I mean, also worked in, in places like Germany, which are, you know, I, I talked about this Victorian structure here, the hierarchical structure in, in Germany, um, I think is, is just, it's in everybody's DNA. Yeah. Um, and so decision-making has to go, you know, through the, the right sort of channels to get, you know, for the right person to make the decision. Yeah. And that just delays things. Um, and then in, in France, I found that um, you, you have to corral more people. Um, so I'm being very general here. So I, I do apologize to people who may listen to this in different places. But you've got to adapt to those, you know, those national yeah. and corporate cultures. Uh, one, one thing working, I mentioned I worked at Huawei. I made, um, that was in the UK. And I made a, fan, learned a fantastic lesson there which was when the people I was working with said yes, they didn't mean yes, I agree. They meant yes, I hear you. Yes. Um, and it took about two months for that to, to sink in with me. But again, that's part of the, the national sort of culture. It's about adapting your style and your approach to the culture of the organisation and the people within the organisation. And that's what will make, but that's what makes the difference and that's the value that you can bring to an organisation.
Yeah, now we we have uh, an approach. We wouldn't call it a method. We wouldn't call it a structure. But there are certain things at a high level we would say you have to do. So if you yeah. take a, a normal sort of cycle, um, there has to be a strategy of, of what an organization is doing. Now, that could be on four pages. It could be on 40 pages. Yeah. Um, but there has to be a direction that the company is, is wishing to go. And that delivers the why. Um, out of that, you know, there comes the change story. You've got to have a change story, which isn't the strategy. It's an explanation of why you have to move to this strategy. We would then say that you you have to imagine um, what the, the organization, the ecosystem will look like uh, when that strategy is delivered. Uh, and then from that, you've then created a, um, it's not, you, you have to bound in some way, you know, what it is you're then going to go and do which doesn't mean you restrict, but it means you have a playing field in which to play the game. We then have to go to a design at a high level. Uh, the outcome of the design phase would be the business outcomes, the capabilities you want, and the, the, the roadmap to deliver it. And then you can create the portfolio to deliver it. Yeah. Now, we would say you have to go through those phases, um, but how you apply going through those phases is different almost in every organization. Um, but also in taking that approach, you, you break it down into to the first bit, you then have a better understanding of what you need to do for the second bit, or the second phase. <clears throat> so you can then fund it, resource it appropriately. And as you're doing the design, we would always look to be delivering prototypes or MVPs of, of the change. And then we're testing them. And then when you get to the portfolio of execution there, you're scaling up those pilots. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not then starting to build from scratch. So it's not that old 1990s consulting where you team of people go into the corner for nine months and develop <laughs> the design and come out and tell everybody what it is. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a collaborative design that is delivering pilots and, and solutions through the design phase. Right. So we usually end these these podcasts with a what's your one number one takeaway and, and the one thing that you feel a successful program has to have in place. But it sounds like what you've just described, you know, multiple parts of it, but it, it's that approach. It's that let's go systematically through those three, four, five steps so that you avoid that move to execution, that, that speed to execution issue that we spoke about at the start? Yeah, I, I, yes. Um, and I would characterize that is that if you design your solution, you have a much better chance of delivering the solution rather than trying to design it as you're trying to deliver it. Um, and so you know, if you're building a house, you, know, you don't draw it on a flip chart and give that to the builder. You know, you have an architect that will come in and design it. Yeah. Why don't we do that when we're trying to build a new business? Absolutely. Well, that's uh, great. Um, 45 minutes of, of sped past. So um, thank you very oh, much for your sure. time. Um, and uh, we occasionally get questions uh, coming back here. Are you happy to, to answer any, any, any yeah. questions? Absolutely. Well, say we've, all, we've all got an ego. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, it's been it's been great, and uh, I'm, I'm sure lots of people take a lot of uh, a lot of little golden nuggets from this one. Well, that would be brilliant. Look, thanks for the invitation. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you about it. Brilliant. Cheers. Once again, thanks, Chris. 
Uh, this podcast series wouldn't be available if it weren't for the generous nature of the people like Chris who willingly give up their time to share their experience with you. It would be great to show them your appreciation by subscribing to the podcast and sharing your thoughts both direct and by social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, as well as LinkedIn, so please choose the one that best works for you. See you in a couple of weeks with the next Inside Track podcast. Bye for now.